I love them. There are there are ones, there are puzzles that are so counterintuitive and baffling. True puzzlers love to be frustrated and then they love to be released from that frustration and get that aha moment. Because the Rubik's Cube has 43 quintillion possible combinations. It, it's more than the grains of sand on Earth. Escape rooms are very popular with the nudist community. You'll meet there, they'll close the door, you take your clothes off, you solve the puzzles, you put your clothes back on and you leave. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, today's episode is so, so fun. I am laughing just thinking about it. And you know it's a good episode when my podcast editor, when he sends back the file, specifically comments how much he loved the episode. That is how fun this episode is. We discuss so many cool things like the role of puzzles in solving life's problems and uncertainty and tension and the role of gratitude and a super perplexing, mind-blowing logic problem, what you need to know about jigsaws and Rubik's Cubes, how possibly puzzles could aid the United Nations, so many things. I love AJ Jacobs. Honestly, he's somebody where it's just open door. He can come on anytime. (laughs) He is amazing. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash puzzles. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And then check out my Instagram, find the Friday announcement post, and again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, Spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal Spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that Spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking Spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, They are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. 
Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or algae and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque, it can help alleviate pain, and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, 
skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 percent back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful, fabulous conversation with AJ Jacobs. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. I'm like genuinely really looking forward to this. So the backstory behind today's conversation is friends might have listened to an episode I did with John Levy, who wrote a book called You're Invited and also runs the Influencers Dinner. And John basically just knows everybody and he knows the coolest people. And so a few months ago, he was like, you've got to interview my friend AJ Jacobs. He has this new book out called The Puzzler. The subtitle is One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever from Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life. So that obviously looked very, very intriguing. And I immediately booked AJ, got the book, and oh my... (laughs) Oh my goodness. It was so incredible, so eye-opening, so funny. I immediately was like, I just want to read all of his stuff. So I read also The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. I read Thanks a Thousand, A Gratitude Journey. And next on the list, I really want to read Drop Dead Healthy and also The Know-It-All, which is probably his most well-known work. But In any case, I don't even know where this interview is going to go because there is so much content and so much that we could talk about. But AJ, thank you so much for being here. Oh my God, that was what a delightful introduction. I have to say, I did not sleep well last night, so I need to listen to more of your show because I know you cover great health. So I was a little like, you know, uh, low energy, but your energy and your enthusiasm, I am raring to go. Thanks to you. So thank you, Melanie. See, I'm already laughing. And like when I was listening to your books, I was... (laughs) I was like laughing so much. You're just incredible. So for listeners who are not familiar, you're an author, a journalist, a lecturer, a human guinea pig. You've written four New York Times bestsellers. You have TED Talks, 
all the things. I'm going to ask you the first question that I ask every single guest on this show, but I've genuinely been looking forward to this question for so long. So your backstory, this isn't exactly the question I always ask. I'm changing it a little bit, but growing up, what were you doing as a kid? Like, were you just going on random adventures and trying random things? Like, I'm so fascinated by you as a person because in all of your work, you just try all of this stuff and you learn and you explore and you share it with us. So what has your life been like? Well, that is, I actually have been curious my whole life. I don't think I'm the, you know, I'm not the best athlete. That's certain. I don't even think I'm the smartest person alive, but I am, I'm in the top 1% of most curious people. I do feel that. And I've always been that way. Yeah, even as a kid, I lived, I grew up in New York, one block away from the Scientology Center in New York. It was sort of like, forbidden. No one should go in there. But I was like, I got to see what it's about. So I went in there as a teenager. I did not convert to Scientology, but I just love going to unusual places and, and learning. And one of my favorite quotes, I interviewed Alex Trebek, the late, great Jeopardy host once at Esquire magazine. I was working at Esquire. And he had a quote that he said, I am curious about everything even those subjects that don't interest me, which I love. It sort of doesn't make sense on the surface, but then it really does make sense. I am also curious about everything, even those things that seem like they would be boring on the surface. It's funny. When I lived in LA, I lived right by a Scientology center and it was on my bucket list. I didn't do this, but I remember they would have like pamphlets that you could go to like a brunch there. And I would tell my friends, I was like, we got to go to brunch there someday. Like we just got to like... Yeah. Free food. Listen. I know. I want to like see what's going on in there. I love that so much. So, oh, so that's a good question. So out of all the books and topics that you've done, were you interested in them originally or was any of them something where you actually weren't interested originally, but you got curious about it? Well, that's a good question. Well, ironically, since I'm on your podcast, I was never as interested in health as other topics because I almost, I, you know, I grew up a complete nerd. So I almost saw my body as a way to carry around my brain from place to place. But I realized that was a bad way to look at the world. It's it's not like there's a brain and a body and they're totally separate. Everything is connected. And when you're in better health, you have a better outlook. You're able to think better. So that was one, oddly, that I became much more interested in as I dove deeper. Oh, so now I really wish I had read Job Dead Healthy. I'm going to have to like bring you back for part two. Oh, I happily, of course. From that book, from the health journeys, did anything really stick with you or stay with you that you practice daily? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not everything because I went all in. That's sort of my MO, as you know. So I talked to every, except for you, I should have, I needed you in my life at that point. I talked to every trainer and doctor and nutritionist I could find, and I just made a list of hundreds of pieces of health advice, some that were totally con contradicting the other. And I decided to try everything I could and see what worked for me. And so I didn't keep everything because it was like, you know, a 24-hour-a-day job to follow all the health. that I had no time for anything else, which is not that healthy. You have to have a little balance in your life. But the things I did keep, I still 
answer emails on my treadmill desk. I'm not on it now because I don't want to breathe heavily and scare your listeners. I love that. I love sort of the the big nudges, the strategies of how to stay healthy, things like micro goals. I'm a big fan of micro goals that I discovered then. So I'll say to myself, I don't have to get on the treadmill now, but I'm just going to put on my sneakers. And then I put on my sneakers and I'm like, okay, I got a little momentum. I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to get on the treadmill for, I'm not even going to turn it on. I'm just going to climb on it. And I climb on and I'm like, okay, I, I can do a minute or two. And then you keep the momentum going and you're on there for half an hour. So that has been a big change. I'm a big fan of micro goals. And also other big strategies like instead of trying to plan every meal exactly, I try to have big rules of thumb. So things like, you know, stay away from the pantry and focus on the fridge because the fridge has real food that because real food goes bad. You know, real fruits and vegetables, those do not stay in a pantry and stay good for six months. So trying to use these big rules of thumb to guide my behavior. So those are just a couple of random ones that I've kept. It's kind of like the grocery store, shop the perimeter rather than in the aisles. Yes, I am a big fan of that, except that I do Whole Foods online. So, Oh, well... <laughs> You can tell your person to <laughs> go around the perimeter. I wonder if anybody's ever done that on the like the Instacart, been like, get me whatever just from the perimeter. That is a great idea. Yeah, they need more of a like an actual visual where you go in with your little avatar. Yeah, yep. Any sleep things that stuck since you're not to bring up that you're sleep deprived again, but <laughs> well, I'll tell you one that actually was from my book on gratitude, which is this exercise I use at night where I use the alphabet and I think of something to be grateful for for every letter of the alphabet as I'm going to sleep. So, you know, A could be I'm grateful for the apple pancakes my sons made me over the weekend or B, I'm grateful for... Uh, I don't know, Barry, the show on HBO that I love. And and I try to do different ones every day. And it's just, you know, it's calming because you're thinking of positive things. And it's just mentally taxing enough that it tires your brain out, but it doesn't get you stressed. So I am a big fan of, yeah, using the alphabet. It's sort of like counting sheep, but counting your blessings. It's funny. So after reading your gratitude book, I had been doing a different word fall asleep trick, which was you think of a word and then you go through it. And for each letter, you, you just think of three random things that start with that letter and you picture them. And apparently it's supposed to like create the same similar like mumble jumble brain state that happens when you're falling asleep. And it would work really well. Then after reading your book, I, I did my own twist on it. I was like, oh, I can add in and being grateful for these things. Ooh, that is, what's an example? I love your idea. Maybe I'm going to try that tonight. So what was like, what you just pick a random word from the. Yeah. So like you'd pick like watermelon and then you'd like W and then you'd picture like water and then picture a whale and then picture a wetsuit. And then you do A and you like visualize them 
And then you just go through the word and you see if you can make it to the end of the word. Did you make it to the end of watermelon? I often don't. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good sign. So, so yeah, I'm all about the sleep. Like I could talk about like sleep forever. Oh, wait, another question actually while we're talking about the gratitude. One of the things I loved about it. So in that book, basically you made it your goal to thank every single person involved in making your daily cup of coffee, which was quite an endeavor to undertake. Did you find that there was a point of too much gratitude? And what is the role of sincerity and gratitude? So I constantly try to tell myself, like channel gratitude, say I'm thankful for things, tell people I'm thankful, but does it matter if you're actually sincerely grateful or not? Or can you like fake it till you make it and then the gratitude will like seep into your body? Like, what do you think is the role of sincerity there? I love that. I love both. So let me take the sincerity one first. I am a huge fan of the fake it till you feel it, fake it till you make it. That happened a lot because, as you said, the premise was I had to every day I tried to thank them in person or over the phone or by email. And it was everyone from the barista who made my coffee in my coffee shop to the farmer in South America. So I flew to South America. But I thanked everyone in between the the logo designer and the, the person who drove the truck with the coffee beans who couldn't have done his job without the street. So I had to thank the people who paved the street. So I kind of got carried away, but that was the point. The point was to show there are hundreds of people we totally take for granted. But yes, a lot of times I would wake up sort of in a default cranky mood and I would force myself to be grateful. So I would force myself to write an email or call. And by the act of doing that, just if you did that for an hour or even less, you trick your brain into becoming more grateful. And uh, I love this quote that uh, I wish I had made up, but I didn't, that it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So by acting grateful, you eventually become more grateful. And I, and it's also sort of this positive feedback loop because I would call, for instance, I would call the woman who did pest control for the warehouse where my coffee is stored. And I'd say, I I know this is strange, but I just want to thank you for keeping the insects out of my coffee. There's a siren. I am in New York. And she would say, yeah, that, that is odd. I didn't expect this. But thank you. I don't get a lot of appreciation. And, and that would, in turn, make, make me feel good. And then, so it was sort of this two-way street of gratitude. So, in short, yes, I, am, I don't think sincerity, sincerity can come later. You can, you can grow into sincerity. And it really is a visceral experience. And I think I tuned into it more since reading your book because you talk about the role of like gratitude experiments and how people pay it forward when they experience gratitude. It's interesting because like, I guess in our daily lives, we wouldn't really know if other people paid it forward, but I think you can really feel it. Like the other day I was mailing something at the post office and there was a woman behind me and she like needed a stamp and I had just bought stamps. So I just like, gave her a stamp so she wouldn't have to buy one. And she was like so grateful. And I like felt it in my bones. And I I just felt like we had this moment. And I was like, I feel like I just want to change the world now. And she probably feels that too. And I was like, if we just like focused in on this every day. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have to say that is one of the nicest things about human nature, which has its faults. But one of the nicest things is that 
we get that warm and fuzzy feeling from helping other people. So yeah, if I'm depressed, that is the first thing I, I do is I try to help others because I know yeah, we are, I think, genetically programmed to to get that warm and fuzzy feeling from helping our kin. And and I think of everyone as my kin. That was a, another one of my books. Another one of your books? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. One last gratitude piece, because I love like very specific, implementable things. So you said that it's beneficial or it can be to change saying thank you to somebody to I am grateful for. Why is that? Well, there was an actual study by Wharton that said that it's more effective for when people wrote thank you notes to potential job interviews. When they wrote, I am grateful for, they got a call back much more often. But I don't think it, it, it has to be that reason. I think for me, it's that sometimes thank you can feel a little rote. But if you force yourself to say, to mix it up, it doesn't have to be, I am grateful. It could be like, I just want to say, I am so thankful. I'm so filled with gratitude. And then the more specific, the better. That to me is a key. So one ritual I do is I write something every day to my mom that I'm grateful for. And she writes me something. But to me, the more specific it is, the more powerful. So, you know, I could say I'm I'm grateful to my dog. That's good. But, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to the way my dog lies on her back and like rubs her head against the floor and it makes me laugh. Like that is just so much more vivid and has more meaning. So, yeah, anytime you can mix it up from the general, generalized thank you to I'm really grateful for X with X being super specific. Gratitude specificity. I'm going to implement that into my life. Okay. So switching gears a little bit to your newest book, The Puzzler. Okay. So when you started rewriting this, was it during the pandemic? I actually started right before the pandemic, which was weird because when the pandemic came a month or two later, puzzles, it was like the golden era of puzzles. Everyone was trying to get jigsaw puzzles. You couldn't find jigsaw puzzles. They were out at stores. And and then towards the end of the pandemic, there was the Wordle craze. So it was totally coincidental, but it, it turned out to be a pretty timely project to dive deep into the world of puzzles during this time when people needed them. Well, I love this book so much, and it really made me open my mind to just, I think, how narrow of a definition I had of puzzles. Because when you think puzzles, I, you know what? I wonder when, okay, because puzzles cover such a broad array of topics, which is obvious from reading your book. I wonder if people, when they think puzzles, if they think like the type of puzzle that they normally engage in. You know, right? Yeah, that was a problem exactly. I want it, and I love that you say because it is totally broad. But when I say I'm writing a book about puzzles, most many people thought it was just jigsaw puzzles, which is a part of it, and and I do enjoy them. But they're like you say. I think to me, anything that requires insight and playfulness can be called a puzzle. What genre? What kind of puzzles do you like? When I first saw the title, I didn't think jigsaw puzzles. I thought word puzzles. It's more like a vague sense of like logic puzzles probably and like 
codes and cryptics and word-related puzzles is what I thought. Well, that is my first love. I'm a word nerd. So that is where I start. And do you do puzzles? Do you do like the crossword or cryptics or anything like that? No shame if you don't. I am not, it's not a quiz. I did more growing up, not as much now. Although reading the book, I was like, I got to get back into this. My favorite puzzles growing up, I loved the, like I lived for these was because I was in the like, not this, I don't want to say like the smart kid group. I was in like this, like an elementary school, like this special program where they would like take us out and like teach us stuff. I, I don't know. Sounds like the smart kid program. Just saying. My favorite thing was the logic puzzles where you, Anna has a hat that she gave to Sam on Tuesday and Fred gave it to her on Wednesday. And then you like make the chart and you like do the X's. I like lived for those. That is so funny because I used to be intimidated by those. Now I feel okay because I sort of have a an algorithm. I have a strategy to do it. But before I would try to do it in my head and I would just become overwhelmed. But I love that. I, I've spoken to a lot of lawyers who love logic problems. I don't know if you ever consider being a lawyer. So growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer. Well, or I thought I might be a lawyer. And I'm glad you mentioned algorithms because that's the thing I think that I liked about those puzzles is when you see them, it looks like something you'd have to figure out without a system. Like you would read it and you'd be like, oh, I, I got to like figure this out. But if you have a chart, you can figure it out. Like it doesn't actually require, I don't know, it doesn't even actually require that much logic because it, there's a system to it. Yeah, you're going. And that is one of the themes I love exploring is, you know, what in life does, can be done with an algorithm. And I think it's an awesome way to solve problems, not just puzzles, but like life, life puzzles, you know, is there an algorithm for figuring, is there an algorithm? I talked to a guy who was a Rubik's Cube. He was the first Rubik's Cube world champion. Then he became obsessed with pizza. So he went from cubes to pizza. But he says it's the same type of thinking. He used an algorithm to create the greatest pizza. And he claims that he had the recipe. He has like a, it's a crazy long 50 page recipe for the greatest pizza in the world. And it's all this incredibly detailed algorithm. So I love that. And and the question is, you know, are there algorithms for how to find a partner or find a job? And and I think to some extent, I don't think it's exactly like the logic puzzle or Rubik's Cube. It's a lot more complicated. But there are there are strategies, I think, that can help us systematize life decisions. And that guy's in Atlanta, right? He is. Are you in Atlanta? I am. Oh, have you been to Varasano's Pizza? No. Where is it? Oh, he's got three of them. I'm not sure where, but yeah, check it out because he claims it's the best pizza in the world. I haven't tasted it, but say hi if you go. I will. I know I read that. I was like, I got to track this guy down. You took lessons, right? To learn how to do the Rubik's Cube? Right. Yeah. Rubik's was not, like you said, I'm more of the, the word puzzle fan. So I actually have terrible spatial reasoning. But Rubik's is po possibly the best-selling puzzle of all time. Hundreds of millions of them sold. And so I knew I had to have a Rubik's chapter. So I got a Rubik's lesson from one of the greatest cubers, speed cubers in the world, who actually has a very inspiring story. 
it was almost like, I don't know, Rudy, that movie, but Rudy with Rubik's cubes instead of football because she had childhood arthritis and she became obsessed with Rubik's cube and, and she did it so much they it helped her cure her arthritis. So it was very uplifting. Yeah. She taught me how to do it. I'm not fast. You know, literally the, the record is three and a half seconds, less than three and a half. I read that. How is that possible? I don't know. Exactly. Hi friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. I read that and then I have it in my notes from the book. And I was like, is that, did I miswrite that? Three and a half seconds? Yeah, it is not a typo. It is... Like three and a half seconds, I've done like four turns, but it's all about technique. They have this technique where you don't move your wrists, you flick your fingers. And yeah, it is just remarkable. And they they can look at it and figure out that it's only going to take these 18 moves and then they do it. But it is, it is, yeah, it's astounding. It's inspiring that people can... Because the Rubik's Cube has 43 quintillion possible combinations, which is such a mind-boggling big number. It's more than the grains of sand on Earth. We can't even comprehend. And they, out of all those 43 quintillion, there's the one correct arrangement, and they are able to do it in three and a half seconds. So basically, they can look at the cube. I'm assuming they get unlimited time to like look at the cube. So they look at it before they come up with the solution and then they just have to do the solution. Right. They get, I don't think it's unlimited. I forget how long it is. Maybe it's a, a minute. And, and then, and then the timer starts and then they flick their fingers and they try to click it into place as quickly as possible. And, and it's hilarious because it's like a sport and they have all the, you know, this equipment. So they have their, 
They're specially designed cubes that have magnets to lock them into place, and they have Rubik's Cube lube to make the <laughs> make the sides turn faster. So it just shows humans are just so creative and can turn anything into a competition, a sport. With the 43 quintillion options, do you know, is it 43 quintillion separate pathways or are they branching off from a few different branches? As far as I understand, I'm not a mathematician, the 43 quintillion just means there are 43 quintillion ways that those colored squares can be arranged. So you could have, you know, one where it's all the right thing, but there's a yellow corner in the red side. And then the, another one has the red cor- orange corner in the red side. And if you count all those up, which I have not done, you'll get to 43 quintillion. While we're talking about like physical puzzles, can you tell listeners about being Team USA for the jigsaw puzzle with your family? I would happily tell them, although it's a little embarrassing. What happened was I was, as again, not a huge jigsaw fan, but I knew I had to cover it. So I went online and I just typed in jigsaws to see what was out there. And on the sixth page, I noticed an international jigsaw puzzle championship, which was happening in Spain. I didn't even know that there were speed jigsaw puzzle championships, but I sent in on a whim, I sent in the application, figuring there's no way they'll accept me. Turns out no one else from the U.S. had signed up. So I was selected, me and my two sons and my wife were selected as Team USA, and there we flew to Spain. There were 40 other countries, and we had eight hours to complete four pretty big puzzles, like 1,000 to 2,000 pieces. And we competed against these people who were, you know, the LeBron Jameses of jigsaw puzzles. They practiced all the time. And we did come in second to last. That's the way my wife likes to put it when we tell friends. So people are like, oh, second, oh, last. So yes, we were we were 39 out of the 40th. We did beat, I think it was Portugal, but we had a blast and I loved I loved just seeing people at the peak of their skill, even if the skill is not one that's you know gonna get them on primetime ESPN. Just to see these people and the way they they attack a jigsaw puzzle and they have all these tactics that you would never think about, like sorting by shape instead of color. So, you know, thinking outside the, the puzzle box, I was blown away. I had a great time despite humiliating our country. So I apologize to our fellow Americans. Well, you got second to last. So I think you're good. It's true. I thought that was a victory. I have some random questions about it. What was the actual puzzle? Like, what did it look like? Well, we had four that we had to do. So one was a safari scene. One was all red. So it was very tricky. So it had, it had like, you know, red fingernails, red fire hydrants, etc. So that was particularly tricky. I can't even remember what the other two, partly because we didn't even get to them. We finished one and a quarter puzzles in the eight hours, which, you know, that's not, they were big puzzles. The, the, it turned out the Russian team 
was the dominant one. They finished all four puzzles in about four hours. And there were rumors of doping. I ha- I saw no evidence, and they were very nice, actually. I, I congratulated the team, and they gave me th- their mascot, little teddy bear. So, but yeah, as I say, I just love the fact that what I love about, I guess what I like about Jigsaws is you can do it that, you know, this crazy hardcore. But I also think when I'm really stressed during the pandemic, it was like a meditation. I'm not a very good meditator. I wish I were better. But putting these, it's almost sort of like a mindless meditation. You're just trying to put pieces together and go with the flow and not get frustrated. And so to me, they serve both purposes. So I'm a convert. I used to not like jigsaws. Now I'm a convert. Growing up for me, we would always, we go to Sanibel Island in Florida. We always had a puzzle going and they're always like beach and sea and ocean scenes. And it's like, so it's a really warm memory for me. I'm just, just thinking about like the strategies. We had, we would sort by color. Yeah, that is the traditional, but apparently not on, the only one. And and I always thought you have to start with the edges, not necessarily, according to the experts. If it's a really colorful puzzle, then start with the inside colors. So yeah, there are all sorts of, of these little hacks to being a top jigsaw puzzler. And the other part about jigsaws that I love is, you know, for every puzzle type, there were these people who wanted the Mount Everest of the triathlon of whatever that puzzle was, the hardest possible example. And so there are these puzzles that will drive you crazy. There's a company called Stave Puzzles, and they're based in Vermont. They have wood cut, beautiful wood cut, super expensive puzzles. They lent them to me, so I didn't have to pay. But they are so frustrating because they have, they're so tricky. The so, the edges don't look like edges. They have pieces that look like they fit that, that don't. They throw in pieces from other puzzles that just to mess with you. Oh, that don't even go in the finished puzzle? No, they don't go in the finished puzzle. Red herrings, man. Yeah, the guy who started it calls himself Chief Tor- Tormentor-in-Chief, and he just loves... And, and there is an element of that, which is an interesting, and I saw you made a note of that, there is an element of masochism and sadism in puzzles, because true puzzlers love to be f- frustrated, and then they love to be released from that frustration and get that aha moment. And, and this relates to a lot of health activities, because I talked to this psychologist, Paul Bloom, great psychologist. You might want to have him on the show. He's lovely. But he wrote a book called The Sweet Spot. Why we, and it's all about why do we do things that are sometimes painful? Why are we attracted to running a marathon or horror movies or doing crossword puzzles? He has a couple of theories, but one of them is we are wired to do it because it is training for it's how we were evolved to train for real problems and we are wired to try to seek that insight that aha moment so in a puzzle it would be the aha moment when these two pieces fit together in real life the you know the aha moment the ultimate puzzle was how do you get food or how do you find a mate you know those are <laughs> those are the big puzzles so it's a weird phenomenon of humans that we do like 
some level of pain as long as we can be released from that pain. And I would imagine there's probably, like speaking to that, something really beneficial with puzzles because aside from that guy you just mentioned who makes the puzzles where there's like red herrings and issues, um, in the normal puzzle world, you're trusting that there's actually a solution compared to life where there may or may not be a solution. So there's that anxiety that comes in where you don't know if they're even, you know, if it's solvable. But if you're doing an actual puzzle, which is presumably solvable, then they're in theory, is an answer that you can find. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of people talk about that, that there's this, you know, in this world where there's a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty, you can be certain there is one solution that is the right solution, and that is making chaos, I mean, making order out of chaos is a big theme to puzzlers. But I do argue there is is definitely a metaphor between life puzzles and word puzzles, jigsaw puzzles, because life puzzles, there is no one perfect solution. There, There is always going to be several solutions, and none of them are going to be perfect. And part of the puzzle is figure out which solution is the best. But I just like the idea of looking at, at life as a series of puzzles. And this quote I actually ran across after the book came out, so it wasn't in there, but maybe in the future ones. It was by Quincy Jones, the musician, and he said, his philosophy of life, he says, I don't have problems, I have puzzles. So by reframing life's problems as puzzles, I find that is so inspiring because a problem, it sounds so thorny and intractable and depressing and scary, but a puzzle, that's like, all right, there, that's solution-oriented. You can even be playful. So I do try to see, you know, well, you know, raising my kids. How do I work on that puzzle? Uh, you know, uh, staying married. How do I work on that puzzle? It's just a little more inspiring or a lot more inspiring. That was literally one of my questions. That <laughs> was the difference between puzzles versus problems. So crosswords, something that haunts me a little bit about crosswords and I think makes me hesitant or more hesitant to do them is the concept, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but like, is it a priori knowledge? Like I've always been a little bit haunted by the fact with a crossword puzzle, assuming you're not using Google and the dictionary and such, it might not be in your brain, the answer to that puzzle. So, or like to that word question. So what do we do with that? I do have an answer. I do have an answer because I think there are two types of crossword clues. There's the facts, like, you know, the biggest river in Bulgaria. And then there's the wordplay. So the wordplay is Will Shorts, who's the most famous crossword person alive. He's the New York Times editor. I think his favorite clue is something along the lines of, it turns into another story. And the answer is spiral staircase, because it's wordplay. It's taking a pun or a you know, a play on words. And British, if you like wordplay, I like the wordplay because, yeah, you're right. When I'm hit with the Bulgarian river and I don't know it, like that's the end. That's no fun. So I like, and British crosswords have a lot more wordplay. Some of them are just so crazy hard that it's not fun, but there are some. And there was one I liked from last year that was, what was it? Uh, first Lady's Residence. What is it? It's a four-letter word starting with E. First Lady's Residence. 
I don't want to put you on the spot. It is not. But, you know, your first thought is first lay. Oh, like, you know, Michelle Obama. Oh, Eve, Eve, Adam and Eve, Eden, Eden. Exactly. There you go. See, so that's that's more fun because, you know, you, most people do know Eden. It just takes that extra step to figure it out. And then you get your aha moment. And I did feel that. Like, I felt that aha moment just now. <laughs> I can tell. You got it. I'm this, like, real-life experience. And so what was it like being the answer, right, not once but twice to crossword puzzles? Right. Well, this was how my book starts. I always like to start with sort of an anecdote. And this one was how I got back into puzzles. I'd always loved puzzles since I was a kid. But a few years ago, maybe six years ago, I was the answer to a clue in the New York Times crossword puzzle. Uh, and I was one down. It said, author A.J. Blank. And I thought this was the highlight of my life. This was, you know, my wedding was pretty good, but this, I was so excited. And then my brother-in-law emailed me. He did congratulate me, I will say that. But he also pointed out, as brothers-in-law do, that I was in a Saturday puzzle. And if you know the New York Times puzzles, they get harder and harder. And the hardest of the week is on Saturday. And all the answers are totally obscure. So his point was, this is not a compliment. This is proof that you're totally obscure. No one knows who you are. So then I was crushed. I told that um, roller coaster of emotion I told the story about it on uh, on a podcast, and it happened that one of the New York Times crossword makers was listening, and he decided to save me and put me in a Tuesday puzzle where I do not belong, because Tuesday is for really famous people like Lady Gaga. Gaga shows up there a lot. And he said, I don't belong there, but he wanted to rescue me from my, my obscurity and put me in there. So I love that, and that was... That's how it starts, the book starts, and and how I started to do the crossword puzzle every day, hoping to re- reappear, and then I finally did. That's amazing. What words were you crossed with? I was, oh, that is a great question. I remember in one I was crossed with Judd Apatow, the great comedy director. I actually, I had a mutual acquaintance and I got his email and I said, this might be the closest we'll ever come to working together, but just so you know, we we crossed and and he wrote back a nice note. That's amazing. Did you frame it? It's on your wall? It is on my wall, although it is in the other room, so I can't otherwise I would see what the other ones are. And were you able to solve the whole puzzle yourself? Well what's funny was the one the second one, which was the Tuesday, which is the easier one, I was so frazzled that I was in it, that it threw my game off. And it took me much longer than it should have to solve it. I was too excited. Do you still do them? Do you do them daily? I do. I do. And I, you know, I love it. I think, you know, there is some evidence that it is good for the brain. I think sometimes it's overstated, like it's not going to cure your dementia. It might slow down the onset of dementia a little. And it's not just puzzles. It's not just crosswords. Any kind of, according to the research I read, any stimulating cognitive activity, learning a new language, learning a new instrument, those those also help stave off dementia. But to me, I just love the way it engages my brain. I love the way it makes me 
think in different ways, which I try to apply to life, you know, like first lady's residence, I just think it makes my life more interesting. It makes me think in a more interesting ways. So I am, uh, I don't foresee ever giving it up. I'm going to just keep going until, uh, until the final curtain. I've been really interested in the health benefits and cognitive benefits of all of this. And I was reading a book and she was talking about a study and it was looking at the brain benefits of video games versus brain puzzles, like, or puzzles specifically made to, you know, benefit your brain. And I think there's an aspect to like your enjoyment in what you're doing. So it makes me wonder if just for the cognitive stimulation, if like for listeners, finding the type of puzzle that you enjoy doing is maybe more beneficial than, you know, sitting down and making yourself do like a brain game for that purpose. You know what? I love that. I mean, that's the way I feel about exercise. It's like, you know, you're you're not going to do the exercise unless you love it. It's very hard to force yourself to. So, you know, if it's gardening, then that's fine. That's your exercise. And yeah, I, like you said, there are so many different types of puzzles. I, I feel it's like dating. There's a puzzle out there for everyone, a puzzle type out there for everyone. And, you know, puzzles I never even heard of, like Japanese puzzle boxes where you have to open this wooden box that has all these secret compartments. Just to go back to your your reading for one second, what did they say? Did they say that video games could also be beneficial or that... Did they say that brain puzzles are are better? Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As 
for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm-direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just gotta upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. I have to double check. I'm pretty sure, I think they were looking at Tetris actually, and it was definitely at least comparable. I think it was better. Oh, interesting. I like that. Well, I I used to be a Tetris addict. And I will say the line is quite blurred. And my son taught me this because I have a teenage son. And a lot of these games contain very sophisticated puzzles, a lot of the video games. So I no longer, you know, he's lucky I did this book because I'm, I'm much... Accepting of his... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always loved Square growing up. Oh, I don't know if I know that. It's the one where you you mark bombs and flags. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Wait, it is mine, not not Minecraft. I'm getting confused, but I know it, and this is embarrassing. Yeah, that's a great game. That's a good puzzle. Exactly. I know exactly what you mean. But the thing that stresses me out about that puzzle that I would, like, as a young child, be stressed out about is it's another one where it's an algorithm, like, it's logic, it's solvable except when it's not like the first move is chance. And then sometimes you reach points where it requires a chance again. And that always like stressed me out because it's like when you're starting it, you don't know if it's actually solvable or not. Right. Right. That is good. Yeah. I think that that's interesting because a lot of puzzle makers, I am not, you know, it is a total art that takes years to master. So I've written some puzzles, but nowhere near, but, but good puzzle makers will say a great puzzle would never have that. There's never a point where you have to take a chance that you can always figure it out logically. And, uh, and they give you like little um, breadcrumbs along the way. That's, a, that's an important part of puzzling. Now I'm just thinking back. I wonder if they tell you the amount of like bombs. And so maybe you actually could always figure it out. Now I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to Google this after afterwards. I've been having a life puzzle that's been popping up in my head in real life. It happens to me all the time. And I think it's similar. I think, I'm not sure. Maybe I can ask you to the concept of the sleeping beauty puzzle. Well, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about the sleeping beauty? Sure. The sleeping beauty is a crazy puddle. It's a riddle and it is debated by mathematicians and philosophers, and and no one has really been able to say what is the de- definitive correct answer. And I don't know if you remember Monty Python, where they had that they had a joke that was so dangerous, so funny that 
if you heard it, you would die laughing. And this to me is sort of similar. It's such a puzzle that obsesses people for years. And it's actually, I'm not even going to say it. It has to do with flipping coins and a sleeping beauty and an amnesia drug. I will say that it's a it's sort of a cousin of the Monty Hall problem, which which does have an answer. And people have heard of that. So let me just do that one really quickly, which is the Monty Hall problem is based on the game show, Let's Make a Deal. And you're a contestant on a game show. There are three doors. Behind two of the doors are goats. And behind one of the doors is a brand new car. Assuming you want the car, you have to make that assumption. Some people might prefer the goats. You get... Two guesses. So your first guess, say you choose door number one. And Monty Hall, who is the game show host, says, all right, I'm going to open door number two and show you what's behind door number two. I'm not going to open door number one, your choice, but I'm opening door number two. He opens door number two and it's a goat. Now, he says, you get one more guess. Do you want to switch your guess? Do you want to switch it from door one to door three or stick with door one? What is the right thing to do? Yeah. And so doesn't it have to do with the fact that like when you were initially guessing it was out of three options, like now there's less options? Yes, that's exactly it. It, It's out of two, but it goes from being one out of two to I think two out of three. But it is, to me, it's so counterintuitive because it's like, well, why would I switch? I mean, I've got, I made my guess and, you know, it's the same, same odds sort of on an, on a surface level. It seems like it would be crazy to switch, but the correct answer is yes, you have, you will increase your chances if you switch doors. And, uh, and I love that people, this was like a big controversy when it first came out. This woman named Marilyn Vostavant, I just have to say I read her column. Like, I lived for her column as well growing up. No way. That is hilarious. In Parade Magazine. Yeah. I was like all about it. My like 10-year-old self (laughs) had to like read her column. Do you remember the Monty Hall problem that she wrote about? So it's funny. I was thinking about that while you were talking. I was like, I think I do. Like, I think I remember when she answered. Do you know what year she answered it? It was 1981 or something along those lines. Nope. Okay. I was, never mind. Nope. You were not alive. (laughs) I was not in existence. You were not, yeah, in existence. Well, that is funny, but... Well, she wrote, she wrote about it and said that you should switch and she got so much hate. You know, this was whatever the early version of trolls were. They trolled her and professional mathematicians wrote these condescending letters like why, you know, this, she's ridiculous. And she was right. She was right. So yeah, to me, that is a lovely, it's a lovely story. I think one of the things it shows is, is you shouldn't always trust your your first instinct that uh, sometimes instinct can be great. Sometimes it can lead you astray. So just, you know, be careful. If you choose not to switch, you're choosing to stay. You're still making a choice out of two. I know. I still, it's funny. I think about it I'm, and I'm like, okay, I understand it. And then all of a sudden I don't. Here's one way that I think about it sometimes that helps is imagine instead, and this is a good problem-solving technique in general, is to take something and 
push it to the extreme, either to the extreme on the big end or the small end. So imagine instead of three doors, you had a hundred doors. And Monty Hall said, all right, pick a door. And you pick door 57. And he says, okay, I'm not going to open that, but I'm going to open 98 other doors. So he opens 98 other doors. And now you're just left with 57 and say four. Pick door 57 and door four. Now do you see why it makes sense to switch a little more or not really. <laughs> it's because, because he, Monty Hall is just not, is not opening random doors. He is, he knows where the car is and he knows where the goat is. So he is purposely giving you information by opening the goat doors. That's the difference. He knows, and he's giving you a little hint by opening a door with a goat that, that eliminates that door and makes it more likely that it's one of the two left. Because the odds of you picking that door when there was a hundred are not very good, but by switching, you're picking it out. Yeah. You're picking out of two. Exactly. You're picking out of two instead of picking out of a hundred. And now it makes more sense. And this is why it relates to the sleeping beauty thing and the amnesia part of it. Cause part of me thinks it depends on, if you knew your prior history or not. Right. Yeah. I mean, these things, I love them. There are, there are ones, there are puzzles that are so counterintuitive and baffling. There's one called Born on a Tuesday. This one is another one that's just mind-bogglingly counterintuitive. A man says he has two children and that at least one of them is a boy born on a Tuesday. What is the probability that the man has two boys? And why does Tuesday have anything to do with it? Okay, wait. So he has two children, and one is a boy born on a Tuesday? Yeah. What is the probability the man has two boys? And why would Tuesday have anything to do with it? But it does. It's so mind-boggling. And hold on. I'm going to try to find the explanation because I have it. There's no way I could remember it. There's no way I would ever have gotten anything close to this. So just so you know. And does it matter if the kids are like twins or not or anything like that? No. I mean, there are. Let me give you, while you're working on that, let me give you one that's similar, but actually can be solved that you might have heard of, but I love it because it's a good lateral thinking puzzle, which is there are two girls in a class. They were born to the same mother on the same day of the same month of the same year, but they are not twins. Two girls born of the same mother, but not twins. What is going on? Same mother, same day, same year. Is it a like a time zone thing? It is is not a time zone thing. I like your theory. Now that is just, I love, that's one of my big lessons from the puzzler is, you know, it's okay to try and fail. It is good to try and fail. You're never going to solve puzzles if you, if you don't fail. All right. I'm looking up the born on a Tuesday answer. Tuesday changes everything. Okay. Does the Tuesday one have something to do with there being seven days in the week? It does. It does. I mean, honestly, I'm going to read it to you, and I'm not sure it's going to make sense to either of us why the answer is. But the answer is, oh, wait, do you want to, let's finish the other one. 
in case people have to go. So is the other one a, a play on words or anything? Kind of a play on words. It's more a lot of puzzles. I think word puzzles and life puzzles is I'm purposely withholding a little bit of information. So I'm not telling you the whole story. There are two girls and they are both born on the same day, same mother, but maybe there's something more going on. Maybe there's someone sitting next to them. They're triplets. Exactly. They're triplets or quadruplets or quintuplets. But yes, that is a, that is a classic lateral thinking puzzle, they call it. All right. So yes, I'm going to send this to you in case you want to post it, but because it's, it's a visual explanation. It has to do with the fact that <laughs> I'm just trying to read. The explanation is like five pages long. It comes from the fact that we might imagine we had sliced the possible space, two genders, seven weekdays into seven equally big slices. But did we? No, we did not because this is embarrassing. I did understand it at one point. Like if you spend an hour looking at it, it makes sense. But it is the fact that one of the boys was born on the Tuesday and not the other one, and the other one was not born on a Tuesday, that makes a huge difference in the probability. So the point is, life is weird. And <laughs> sometimes the, these things just don't make sense to our intuition. You know, we are not built, our brains are sometimes just not built to calculate probability correctly. And so, yeah, we're always being surprised. Oh, well, let me give you one, one other one that's a much simpler example of this. So this is a very classic one. A baseball bat and a ball cost... A dollar ten, a dollar ten cents together. So together, a baseball bat and a baseball cost a dollar ten cents. The bat costs one dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? A dollar ten. So a dollar more. They cost a dollar ten together, and the bat costs one dollar more than the ball. So how much does the ball cost? And the trick is, your first instinct is wrong. The first instinct, at least I had, is that the the ball costs ten cents because ten cents plus a dollar is a dollar ten, right? That makes sense. That's your gut instinct. But no, that's not it. Because if the ball costs ten cents, then the bat costs a dollar more than that, a dollar ten. So it's going to be a dollar twenty. So the answer is the ball costs five cents. And the back costs a dollar five, so together they're a dollar ten. So again, it's just like your gut. Our guts are not always built for tricky problems. Yeah, I was like trying to run down in my head. I was like, I was like, well, it's not a dollar ten because of that reason. So then I was like, what if it was nine cents? What if it was eight cents? I was like going down down the ladder. That's a good way to do it. That works. So the life problem I've been having that makes me think of the Sleeping Beauty is. Sometimes when I, I need to come and grab something from my apartment, they'll like boot you. Even though I live here, they'll boot you if you're like just parked outside, even though I can just like run in really fast. This haunts me so bad. So sometimes I come when I do this, I try to make it in like in two minutes. So I'll, I'll park, I run in for two minutes, I run out. And then I'm like, you know, what are the chances that I get booted? But sometimes I come and I sit in my car for like five minutes first 
And then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to run in for two minutes. The fact that I sat here for five minutes means that the car will have been here for seven minutes. But if I leave right now, it's still a two-minute possibility. So if I had just come right now, it would have just been a two-minute possibility. But the fact that I sat here for five minutes and I know that, does that change the probability? That is such a good puzzle. I think this every time I do this. And I used to think it anyways. And now I think about it. And I think about your book and I think about Sleeping Beauty. And I'm just like, what's happening? There is. I know because there is a right answer. And I'm, you know, I don't want to venture because it, it might be trickier than it appears. Because on the one hand, you're increasing the amount of chances that someone is going to come by because you're there for seven minutes. But on the other hand, you have been there for five minutes and no one has come. So how is that extra two minutes any different than any random two minutes? Hi, friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality, they're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit, that's what I have, and it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving, it's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Yeah. And if I just showed up at this time now and went in for two minutes, I feel like it should be the same probability of me just leaving from my car that's been sitting there for five minutes. I think that's why the amnesia part is important in Sleeping Beauty, because it's like, if I know I've been here for five minutes, I feel like it's a different chance than if I don't know. Totally. But then how can that be? We have to we have to send this to Marilyn Vosnavon. She will figure it out. I'm going to do it. Does she still write her column? I think she might. I think she might. I once did a book on on trying to be as smart as humanly possible. So I, as part of it, I read the encyclopedia and I met with these super geniuses. And I met this guy named Ron Hoflin, who was who was her boyfriend. And he had, like, she had a 280 IQ and he had a 279 IQ or something like that. So that's my only connection to Marilyn. But I would say, um, you know what, though? I'm going to type this up and send it to some math math nerd friends of mine, and we're going to get you an answer because it's an important puzzle. I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is so great. Speaking of IQ, I saw, because I didn't read the know-it-all yet, but did you actually join Mensa or did you just sneak in? Well, both. I'm not smart enough to get in by taking their super hard test, but I was smart enough to read the website and see that you can sort of get in on through a side door by your SAT scores. 
and I think the minimum at the time I did it was twelve fifty, and I happened to have gotten over twelve fifty, and so I got in, and even though I couldn't pass their test. And part of it, I think they just wanted, you know, the membership dues. But it was hilarious. I got to hang out with some Mensa people, and there were some I loved. Some, it became clear that there's a difference between IQ and EQ, emotional quotient, and sometimes they are not correlated, you know, so you can have a very high IQ and not a very high EQ. But they were wonderful, quirky characters, and that's what I like for my books is finding interesting people. So I was very happy to have them in there. It's funny because so when I was in L.A., they are having a game show casting and they wanted people in Mensa. And so I joined because I had my scores from when I was like, whenever they give you that test, it was good enough to join. So So you have a genius IQ. That's fantastic. What's funny, a few things are funny. So I I joined so that I could apply for the game show casting, but but I I did not get in the game show because I had to like track down my childhood scores. I didn't have them. So in the meantime, I was like, well, I'll like take some of the practice IQ tests and maybe I can just like take it again now. And taking it now, I realized, I know they say that the test, like it doesn't change or it doesn't matter how old you are, but taking it, I was like, I feel like there are a lot of patterns here. Like I could take this test a few times and like learn how to take it. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I don't think it is the end all be all. I think you can study and improve your IQ. Yeah, but I love that you got you are in a fit. So you do you get like the Mensa magazine and all that? Well, I was gonna say I was gonna say like I was thinking about one of the reasons I was asking you that was yeah I get the Mensa magazine which I love, <laughs> and then um, I get all the emails about all the meetups. I haven't gone to anything. They always have these meetups, and I'm always like maybe I should like go to just you know see what it's about someday. <laughs> so that's why I was curious about your experience. Oh yeah, no, I went to a Mensa meeting. This was many years ago. I remember two big things. One was it was like a convention. And when you got there, you had you could choose one of three stickers to put on your badge, green, yellow, or red. So green means I'm okay with hugging. Yellow means ask before hugging. And red means no hugging, no hugging at all. So which is very smart. And especially now with like COVID, I think it is. And the other thing I remember is I was eating. What color did you put on? I believe I was a yellow. I didn't want to make a big statement. I remember also that I was eating dinner and this guy had, we all had soup and he reached into his bag and got out a bunch of plastic spheres and dropped them, little ball, plastic balls and dropped them into his soup. And I said, you know, what's going on? He's like, oh, those are to cool down the soup. I have these little frozen balls, plastic balls that I take from home. And I was like, why couldn't you just ask for a couple of cubes of ice from the restaurant? And he says, and he looks at me like I'm the biggest idiot ever. And he's like, because that would water it down, duh. So uh, (laughs) I was not smart enough to figure out why you needed frozen plastic balls. But listen, he's right. He's right. You don't want to water down your soup. This is the way to cool it down. That's so funny. Wow. Yeah. Also on my to-do list, go to the Scientology brunch and go to like one of these mixers, <laughs> Mensa mixers. I think you are. Yeah. You've got a good social life path lined up for yourself. To-do list. 
Well, there's so many other questions I want to ask you, but I want to be respectful of your time. Like you talk about so many other things like mazes versus labyrinths and the sculpture at the CIA and escape rooms. Oh, do you do escape rooms, by the way? I do. I love escape rooms. Are you a fan? Yes, they're the best. I love them. That is nice to hear. And you know what's weird? I think Atlanta has some great ones. I don't know why I know that, but from talking to people in the escape room community, I think you're in a good place. There's so many. My two favorite escape room facts are, one, and I learned these from talking to escape room owners, the first is that escape rooms are very popular with the nudist community because the nudist community, you'll meet there, they'll close the door, you take your clothes off, you solve the puzzles, you put your clothes back on and you leave. You know, you think it, you can't go bowling or go to the movie and take off your clothes. This is a good, and then that's a fun, and then the other fun fact I thought was many people I talked to, there's a guy, like they each have this guy who comes every week. Yes, I love this one. It's so great. Yes, I, this never occurred to me. And I was like, oh. Yeah, just be careful. This is a public service announcement for single women. They all have this guy who comes every week or two. And he always brings a new woman, a date. And he pretends every time that it's his first time solving the the escape room. And of course, you know, he does it really quickly. His theory, I guess, all these guys figure, I'm going to show off by showing her how good I am at solving Sudoku or Morse code, and then she's going to fall for me. So it is ridiculously sleazy. But I guess if all these guys are doing it, that it does, it is effective. So I want to get that out there to anyone who goes on a first date. So if you're on a first date and it's an escape room, run. (laughs) Red flag, red flag. (laughs) Well, only if he solves it quickly. If he loses, then it's like, then it's fine. True. (laughs) It's so funny. Well, maybe just one last quick topic to end on. Something that has really stuck with me from reading The Puzzler was, and I'm just, I mean, just feeling it right now, like thinking through these puzzles with you in this moment, you talk about how puzzles, I mean, in theory could possibly solve the world because what is the one thing that can unify people of different. Oh yeah. There was a great study where they took people from different sides of the political spectrum. So conservatives and liberals, and they had them do all these activities. And the one activity that, that united them was they all did crossword puzzles. And this, just this idea of having a common goal to work towards, they were able to bond over that. So yeah, there it is possible. You know, puzzles could save the world if we give them to Congress. I don't know, where uh, we give them to uh, both sides of the, uh, the the red states and the blue states, and we all work together. I mean, that really is all kidding aside. The idea of working together on a problem, uniting against a common threat, is one of the best ways to unify people. So I'm all for it. I and and regarding that cultural divide. Like, I have found it so helpful to try to think of that as a puzzle. So if I'm talking to someone from the other side of the political spectrum, I happen to be, a, you know, a liberal. I, you know, I'm not, not down the line. I have some differing views, but mostly liberal. So if I'm talking to someone who's a Trump supporter, instead of trying to see it as a, as a fight, as a war of words, I try to see it as a puzzle. I try to say... Well, let's try to solve together 
what do we really disagree on? What evidence is there that could convince one of us that they might be wrong? What, uh, what is the crux of our difference? What, what, what can we do if we don't agree? Can, is there a way forward? And all of these are sort of cooperative puzzles, mysteries. And I find it a much better way to engage with someone I disagree with. It's just more productive. You, it, it's more pleasant. You don't get, you know, my blood pressure doesn't go through the roof. And I learn more and there's a b- better chance that I'm going to come to some sort of productive agreement. So that, yeah, that is my, when you're at the Thanksgiving table and your uncle is saying crazy things that you don't like, just try to engage him as if it's as if he's a puzzle and you're working on a puzzle together. What can you figure out? So now I think listeners can see why, I mean, they've got to get the puzzler. If they've enjoyed this conversation, I mean, really any of your books, like, and I'm going to work my way through the rest of your catalog because you're just incredible. The last question I ask every single guest on this show, and it's appropriate based on what we've talked about, but it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? It's perfect to end with that. Well, absolutely perfect. Well, I mean, this is not, I'm going to come up with something else, but I just want to say I am grateful for you because as I said, I, I did not sleep well. I was in sort of a a low mood, but your energy and enthusiasm has lifted me. I'm smiling. I'm having a great time. So I'm thankful for that. I guess in line with my book, I just want to thank the hundreds of things that went right for this interview to happen. So the fact that I have a microphone that we, it wasn't working when we first started, but it, we were able to make it work. And I want to thank the people in Chile and the miners who went underground and got the copper for the microphone so that it could work. And, you know, whoever designed this little green dots on the side that show the volume, you know, all of these hundreds of things that went into this microphone working just so I could have a lovely conversation with you. That makes me grateful. Well, thank you so much. And I'm just so grateful for you as well. And I think I'm, I'm getting some clarity about something, which, because when I first was exposed to your work, I was like, well, he's all over the place. Like, like <laughs> there's like, <laughs> where am I going to go with this? Like, there's so much stuff. But the unifying thing is, I think what we talked about in the very beginning, which is just your, you know, insane passion and curiosity to just, you know, explore these concepts and ideas and, and know and learn. And it's just, I wish more people thought this way and we're doing this. And I love that you are doing that you know, you're bringing it to the general public and sharing it and exposing people to these ideas and giving people new ways of thinking and seeing things while laughing the whole time. So thank you. Right back at you, Melody. I mean, I've listened to your podcast and that's exact. Your curiosity is infectious. And I think that's what you do with your guests. You are, you know, you you introduce us to all these new ideas. So thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you so much. I will let you go. I know you have to go. Do you have any other books coming out? I just started a new one. It's called The Year of Living Constitutionally. And I am trying to live because there are those on some on the Supreme Court who think that you know, they're, they're called originalists and they, they think we should hew to the original meaning of the Constitution. So I'm trying to see what, what what does that life really look like if you take it to the if you take it really seriously and fully. So I, I have a musket. 
I bought a musket that I'm looking at right now. And I, I, instead of tweeting, I wrote my tweets on some parchment paper and handed them out in Times Square and all sorts of things like that. So what's it like to live in 1789? Can you come back on for that when that comes out? Of course, I would love to. Oh my goodness. And maybe we'll have an answer to the logic question about the parking. Oh yeah. No, that's good. I'm making a note to send that to a friend of mine, not Marilyn, but someone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. How can people best follow you? Instagram, website? Yeah, any of the above. I'm AJ Jacobs on Twitter, AJJacobs.com, AJ Jacobs Inc. on Instagram. Someone took AJ Jacobs. So, uh, but yeah, I would, I love to hear from people and feedback and ideas if they have experiments they want to try. Uh, love to hear about those. Awesome. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. I hope you have a great next interview and I can't wait to talk to you soon. You are the best. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Right back at you. Thanks, AJ. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got it.